How's it going? It's going, brother. How are you? Oh, not too bad. How's it going with you? Another beautiful day in Indy. Oh, over in Indy, yeah. It's a uh, it's a little chilly over here in Ohio, but I'm sure you you know how that goes over here. So still the same. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, still the same. Wow. I, I appreciate you taking time out to to do this interview with me. Um, you're one of my my favorite broadcasters, have been for a while. So uh I just figured I'd reach out to you, give you a shout, and just uh pick your brain over some stuff real quick. Well, that's cool. Yes, sir. Where you where you at? Uh, I'm in Springfield, Ohio. Springfield, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. sir, yeah. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, just to start off, actually, I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, the game the other day. My dad always tells me about your game out of USC 92. Uh, was it Harold Miner? I wasn't sure who that was, but my dad was kind of getting me hip to him. So, so tell me about that game. You said it was a great game, even though you guys lost. I'm just curious to hear your uh, take on it. Um, we were on the West Coast. I think we played UC Santa Barbara first. Okay. And then we came and played, um, came down and played USC. Okay. Post game went in overtime. Harold hit a game winning, kind of almost a game winning shot. George Rabling was a coach at USC. Okay. So you had, who was the black coach. And then our coach, Randy Ears, was black. So that made it kind of cool. Yeah. Um, first time kind of really playing in LA in college. Um, and Harold and I knew each other since high school. So okay. coming down the same high school class, man, it was a great game. I mean, the old uh, sports arena, uh, which no longer exists in regards to basketball, but game went back and forth, back and forth, got it to overtime. I thought it was some questionable calls, of course, during <laughs> the course of the game, but, you know, we was on the road. So, yeah, but uh -huh, it was a, it was a great game. I hear that, yeah, because it, it's even funny. Um, even outside of my dad, several other people have told me about that game. So I'm just like, for this many people to talk about it this many years later, I think it's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was. I mean, you know, we were. I think at that time, top five in the country. Yeah. So Harold was one of the top players in the country. So obviously, it was a great matchup, TV wise and uh, intrigue wise. Yeah. Um, so I, it lived up to it. I can tell you that, except we lost, but it, it, it lived up to it. That's good. And it's funny you uh, were saying you guys are number five in the country because I was doing a little bit of homework kind of on your career at OSU. And I saw where your freshman year, you guys were 17 and 13, but then your sophomore year, you guys made a crazy jump to 27 and four to five in the country. And then your junior year, 26 and six to three in the country. So kind of talk yeah. about, you know, some of the things that changed or, you know, some of the things you guys added to your team to, you know, make those crazy jumps your last two years? Well, I mean, first, my, my freshman year, Randy Ayers had just taken over for Gary Williams, who left. Okay. So it was kind of establishing a whole new era in Ohio State basketball, majority coaching, philosophy. Um, at that time, Trey Lee, Perry Carter were older. Older meaning they were juniors. OK, um, and we started to grow together later that year. I mean, because that was the first time we went to the tournament in quite some time. Um, ended up winning some key games at the end of the year, gaining confidence, actually beat Providence the first round and played UNLV really well. That's the year they won. It. Yeah. And Utah. So that gave us confidence going into the following season. Everybody kind of matured and grew, added a couple more pieces that allowed us now to really go out 
and compete. He said, we got as high as fifth. We finally won. The first year we won our you know, share of the Big Ten title, which Ohio State didn't do since 1972. Wow. So 20 years almost um, for us to do. And it kind of continued to my junior year. So it was just an evolution of, again, guys stayed. You know, you grew, you mature. You knew how to play. You knew the system. You knew the league. And we had some really, really talented players, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny too. talk a little bit about your March Madness experience that you did have. Like, um, you know, even like for the guys now, what like what would be some words of advice you'd have for them? You know, just from your experience. Enjoy it. It's hard to enjoy the process at times because you're trying to win it, mm-hmm. you know, trying to compete. So it's really hard to soak in everything when you got to worry about practice, you know, a little bit worry about getting focused for the game. So you when you're in the moment. You don't enjoy you now. This year was different because it, a lot of the young men didn't experience having the fans there for practice. Yeah. Which is a big thing. You know what I mean? All of yeah. that that comes with it. The pageantry of coming out for your first game, playing up on the stage, especially when you get to an Elite Eight or Final Four. Yeah. So th- th- they didn't get that experience. And if this was their first one, they don't know what it's not like to have it. Yeah. Because they, they just saw it on TV. But for those, that have been there before, I'm sure it was very different for them because they're used to, you know, the other way. Right. Where, you know, so it's wherever you can, just try to enjoy whatever ounce of the camaraderie you have with your teammates, the experience of playing in the tournament, the experience of the game itself, like in yeah. the competition side. Exactly, exactly. And it's funny too, um, talk about the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry in basketball because I've seen – several pictures on your Instagram talking about how you're cool with a lot of the Michigan guys now, like Chris Weber. Uh, but talk about, you know, during your playing days, what your relationship was like with them and like what that rivalry was like. I mean, to be honest with you, it really wasn't a rivalry. It's more so on football. Okay. Our school that we competed with for the titles in the big team was Indiana. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't Michigan. Now, now when I got there in 89, 90, Michigan just came off winning the championship the year before. Okay. With Glenn Rice and all those guys. Don't, yeah. don't get me, don't get it wrong now. They, they, <laughs> they beat Seton Hall. So I got a chance to play against some of those guys who had won it the year before. Not Glenn Rice because he left, but Ramil Robinson, Lloyd Vaught, you know, Terry Mills, Sean Higgins, those guys. Um, and we split with them my first year, but it, it, the rivalry wise really was it was Indiana. Yeah. Now Michigan ended up beating us in the Elite Eight in overtime, Fab Five. You know, and it's just hard to beat a team three times, especially a young team that matured over the course of the year and got better. But no, all those guys, man, always been great guys. And I played with Chris. I played with Juwan. Jimmy King was in camp when we over at the Mavericks one year. Mm -hmm. Um, Jalen and I used to work out in the summertime out in L.A., all great, great Jackson is my guy. Does a lot on the AAU circuit back in Texas. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and even Eric Riley, who played backup center from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just like we developed a friendship over the years, man. Number respect for him. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And you talk about the Big Ten kind of too this year. Um, a lot of people thought they were the best conference in college basketball, but then you know, get to the tournament, it's a little different. So, kind of talk about you know the difference between matchups in the tournament versus, you know, like the Big Ten tournament that was prior to that? Just different, man. Yeah. Matchups are big in college basketball. Look at UCLA. UCLA got matched up 
probably with the right team. You know, mm -hmm. Michigan State really wasn't the Michigan State of old, so UCLA gained confidence in that game. Abilene Christian, yeah. you know what I mean? Right. So they're pat, even though now they had to play against a tough Michigan and Alabama team. Yeah. But that was on the backside after they won three and gained confidence. Right. You know what I mean? So, right. and a lot of our Big Ten teams, I thought the Rutgers game, when they lost to Houston, yeah, had that game. Right. Now, they kind of gave that up, but whatever you want to say, did they stall too early, whatever it may be, I don't know. But sometimes the matchups when you get into a tournament scenario just don't sync up. Michigan did a heck of a job without Isaiah Livers yeah. just to get just to get by LSU. Right. Okay. First of all, that which was a big test, and then Florida State without having your, you know, best score, one of your better players. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough on the Big Ten because, you know, every year talk about the depth of the conference is always good, it's always deep, but yet haven't been able to bring home a championship since 2000. Right. And, it, and it's warranted, you know what I mean? It yeah. is warranted, you know, until, until we're able to do it, the league itself, then you're going to continue to have that kind of stigma. Absolutely. And talk about the games that are on tonight. Um, who are your picks? Because I – I'm really curious to know how good Baylor's offense is and then Houston's defense. Those have been two things I've I really enjoyed watching. So kind of talk about that matchup and who you think will win that one. Well, both are you both correct on that. Now Baylor's defense is out is outstanding too. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's a matter of which which side will win over. I think the 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 challenge for Houston is with handling the guards for Baylor. Yeah. You know, Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague and Jared Butler are <laughs> a, a handful. <laughs> yeah. You know, now they're a little bit smaller compared to the backcourt of Houston. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They, right. they really are. So it's going to be a matter of how do you handle with Jerome? I think, I think Marcus Sasser is going to be huge because he's more of your prototypical point guard yeah. for Houston. You know, Jerome is kind of that in between, you know, playing a little bit of, point two but he's not a point but he can play it mm. you know but it comes down to decision making i think quentin grimes is going to have to have a, a big day right. in regards to decision making and handling the basketball so but i had baylor playing against gonzaga anyway mm -hmm. in the finals yeah so, but i but hey that don't matter to me i'm never <laughs> right anyway when it comes to <laughs> taking a bracket so I, it wouldn't surprise me either which way Mine was messed up after the uh, Virginia Tech and Florida game. So the very first game to kick off March Madness, I was done for. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's funny you you brought up Gonzaga. Do you see any flaws in their game at all? And if they do, where are they? Probably this is not – they're probably not as deep. Okay. Mark Few plays about seven guys. So if you get into foul trouble, that could probably be the biggest threat. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but like anything, man, it doesn't take much in a one-game scenario for something to happen a small stretch of bad play where a team, an underdog is just hanging around, has a chance to take over, and then the pressure just switches on to a Gonzaga because they're supposed to win. So you can never count a team out, even though they may look like they can't be beat, i.e. UNLV in 91. Yeah. When Duke got them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Yeah, because I'm a Duke fan, so they're constantly always playing that UNLV Duke on, on the thing. I see highlights from it. I've read about it, so I'm just like, man, that's that's honestly crazy. So, yeah. yeah. And a couple of quick questions for the NBA for you real quick. Um, So you started out in Dallas, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so a guy like Luka Doncic right now, um, like what are your thoughts on how he's doing right now? 
if they get to the playoffs, they get a, you know, let's say Phoenix Suns team first. Like, do you see them being able to beat a team like Phoenix? Like it, you know, it depends, man, because yeah. I think with Porzingis coming back, you know, it started off a little slow because he came out, he was injured. Yeah. So they didn't have their full complement of what they wanted to do. But Luca is just a different dude, man. He, I think, by playing overseas and playing with mature men when he was younger, then being able to dominate. Mm-hmm. And then he's a big young man too. Yeah. I mean, it's, he had a small, he's 245, you know what I mean? <laughs> Six, yeah. eight. Um, but his skill set and how he thinks the game and the mindset behind it um, is he's way more mature than his age would indicate or his birth certificate. You know what I mean? Right. So Donnie Nelson, who's there, in Dallas, I thought they do a great job of evaluating, especially European players. They started doing that back with Sharunas Marcelona's back in um back in Golden State days back then. And even going to get a young Dirk Nowitzki yeah. in Dallas. And they was like, who is this kid? This and you know, they <laughs> yeah. No, nah, they didn't they haven't hit on everyone, but right. the track record is pretty damn good in regards to them being able to evaluate European talent. Yeah. And, and Luca is just a special and, – and, you know, he's just now – he's not even getting to a point where, where he's not at where his game is ultimately going to be. Right. Because he's, what, 21, 22? Yeah. Somewhere, yeah. Like yeah. the third year. I mean, it's, so him and Trey Young. Yeah, Trey year, Young. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. Three years. So, I mean, the sky's the limit. Longest injuries don't set in. And the Mavericks do the things the right way in regards to organization. Yeah. You know, by yeah. keeping the right people around them. So right. uh, it, it'd be interesting to see. But again, the playoffs are this year is a little bit different just because you have to play in games. So it depends on, you know, where you land. If you're outside that six spot, now you're in the playoff playing stuff. So that could be a little bit different too. Cause you can be in the, you can be a seventh seed. Yeah. And end up going through it and end up playing maybe the 10th seed because of the way it works out. But that 10th seed might be a better matchup or bad or worse matchup for you. Yeah. Did you watch the Golden State uh, Toronto yesterday at all? Well, why? It was a it was a disaster. <laughs> exactly. I started it by halftime. I was done with it. I was like, I'm done with this game. No, I was watching. I was watching the women's final yeah. four, and then I was watching some Milwaukee uh, Portland. Yeah, yeah. I was watching uh, some of the women's final four last night too, and I was trying to watch um, Indy and Charlotte. And that's the thing too. I'm curious about when you look at the Eastern Conference. There's about three or four teams now who were kind of in the playoff mix, haven't been there in a while. You have the Hawks, you're looking at the mm-hmm. uh, Hornets. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, like the Knicks kind of getting in there, mixing things up a little bit. And Toronto's on the outside, the Pacers. Yeah. What do you think about that? The, the moves that made uh, opening now Charlotte is one that, you know, people, yeah, and again, what question do you pay, um, you know, Gordon Hayward all that money? Right. You didn't want to pay um, Kimba long term right but you know the moves they make now are starting to pay off for them yeah Devontae Graham has played great I mean regards to last year coming in kind of under the radar guy coming from Kansas so um you know the back end of the Eastern Conference is going to be interesting yeah could they could they pose a threat to the guys up top no but they they could make it interesting yeah I mean you know you would hate to have to play a tough little feisty Charlotte team if you're the you know three seed yeah Two seat, you know what I mean, down the line, it's because they're going to test you, you know. Um, But it's good for the Eastern Conference, too, because, you know, for so long, the West has just been so dominant in regards to the back end of it, too, not just at the top. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's funny, too, looking at the West. I have a couple more questions for you just about uh, the Lakers. So you were a Laker towards the end of your career. So you look at, you know, the culture there, and they're kind of getting back to their winning ways. What have been your thoughts about the Lakers since LeBron's got there? Well, I mean, LeBron's track record speaks for itself, bro. Yeah. I mean, Cleveland first, Miami, then back to Cleveland, then L.A. Yeah. So it's, it's the common denominator is that employee number 23, you know, just <laughs> – what he brings to the table and people don't under, I mean, truly understand what that means and how hard and difficult that is not to just to win, but win with heavy expectations all the time. Yeah. You know, and culturally the Lakers had to go through their shifts, you know, once Phil left and trying to figure out Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, if it fit, it didn't, you know, to get back to where they're at right now. Frank Vogel wasn't, you know, the first choice. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a head coach, but it, it, it kind of worked out the way they want it. And now the Lakers put themselves in a position of getting Andre Drummond um, to compete again for back-to-back titles, you know, if they're healthy. Yeah. And that and the guy, Andre Drummond, too, that you, you know, throwing his name out there, I'm interested. Do you think in the playoffs his role will change based on the teams they play? So, like, for example, if they're playing Utah, a good defender inside of Gobert, are they going to have him more like rebounder defender instead of score or people against a smaller Portland team inside? Do you think he could just like terrorize them? Do you think his role will change based on the series? It may a little bit, but the strength of the Lakers team last year was their ability to protect the paint, whether that was Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, or mm-hmm. Dwight Howard. Yeah. You lost, you lost that this year. Right. Okay. So you get a little bit back. I think by limiting Marcus Saul's minutes now, yeah. he could be more valuable in the playoff and spot minutes. Okay. Um, having Drummond, again, help protect the paint, but also be an offensive threat to pick up some fouls on the Gobert or be playing against Denver against Jokic because Jokic is going to put up points, bro. Yeah. I don't care what you do. It's hard to stop him. Now, it gives you another big body to go up against them. Right. For the Lakers, and they understood – I think they understood the value of having another player that can rebound and clog up the middle. Yeah. Uh, you know, to get out the West. Yeah. What's your what's your uh, take on Montrez Harrell? Like, what will his role be now that Drummond's there once Anthony Davis comes back and he's healthy? Same thing. Same thing. Okay. Just, I mean, he's going to bring you energy, come off the bench, not undersized center. See, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, with Montrez playing those minutes, he was undersized. So you can still play Montrez and not lose his energy, but play him at the four instead of trying to have him guard, you know, some of those fives like a Jokic or a Gobert, you know, or a Nurkic in, in yeah. Portland. <clears throat> you, you now you don't have to worry about that as much by having drummer. Yeah. And AD doesn't have to do it either. Right. Keep in mind. Yeah. AD doesn't have to um you waste his energy mm-hmm. trying to play center um versus those guys either. Yeah. Exactly. Do you think Aaron Gordon makes the Nuggets more of a threat than they were before? Like what do you really see his role being on their team? I haven't watched much of them since they've got Aaron Gordon yet. I mean, he adds. Well, I think he adds defensive value too because he can okay. he can guard on the perimeter, mm-hmm. okay, as well as of course you know four or five if need to be. So people don't talk about that aspect. I think of what that adds because you lost that with Jeremy Grant, right? When he left, you know that versatile swing guy that could guard multiple players. You kind of get that back with some scoring um, from Aaron Gordon. Yeah, and I think and I think also too though I think he'll be. 
from a mindset perspective, more refreshed, ready to go, more energized, because now he's in a situation out of Orlando Mm -hmm. where he really has a chance to compete. And as a player, you'd be surprised at what that kind of boost that gives your morale and how you tend to play a little bit with more energy, more passion because the winning part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And last question for you real quick. Let's just say we do get the Lakers Nets in the finals. Um, Lakers full strength, Nets full strength. Who are you taking? Ooh. (laughs) It's going to be hard to stop that thing in Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Because you got – it's kind of like, you know, now you – see the narrative, you add Blake Griffin and the Marcus Aldridge. But keep in mind, a lot of people thought Blake was done. A lot of people thought that the Marcus was done. But now all of a sudden they come to – Brooklyn, it's like, oh, you got Blake. You, know, what you were just saying that these two about done. Yeah. But it just gives you value. Right. Okay. And it's almost just like, you know, you're talking about Joe Harris, who can still shoot the lights out the ball. Yeah. But just like Golden State, when you had the big three there, mm-hmm. more than likely, you're not going to have two or the three having a bad night. Right. Maybe one. Mm-hmm. And that bad night still might be 15. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So it's going to be hard to stop offensively that now they talked about Brooklyn and their defense. Right. And I, and I say this before we leave. The Lakers back in 2000, 2001 were like ranked like 21st defensive deficiency. Yeah. But they want they won a championship. You know right. why? Why? Yeah. Kobe and Shaq. True. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So <laughs> say all you want. Right. It has been done. Mm-hmm. Now, the numbers prove that you need to play defense. Don't get me wrong, but there is an example of a team that wasn't as good defensively, mm-hmm. but because of the two players that led the way, plus their complementary player, it was tough to beat them. Same way with Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm wondering if LeBron is able to, let's just say, beat this Brooklyn team, what do you think that does for his legacy? I mean, just an, it's another championship, another bro. Team. Okay. I mean, and now, now you can't say that he didn't play, especially if Brooklyn is healthy, yeah. against another top-tier team to win, which he did. You know what I mean? Right. You know, he's, he's going to be able to do that. You know, they want to say what they want about last year about the bubble. But I tell you what, I think it was a lot more challenging mentally. They were there 90, beating the Heat. They were there 96 days. Yeah. I was there 15 and felt it. Okay? Yeah. Right. Right. So that was a whole nother challenge within itself that people try to discount. Yeah. Because they want to minimize, you know, the championship and what happened. But of course you didn't play on the road and things like that. But I think this one, if he could beat whoever, say it's a Brooklyn team or even if it's a Sixer team, with with the components to it, just adds to his legacy even more. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mr. Jackson, for uh, coming on here and, and chatting with me. Like I said, you're one of my favorite people on TV when I see you. So, uh, yeah, it means a lot. And then even being a kid from Ohio, too, um, your name, I hear it all over the place. And I live in Columbus now. I've moved up there a couple months ago. So um, I go out and I work with our sports director and cover Buckeyes football and basketball. So I'm okay. always seeing your stuff. Yes, sir. You know, I saw you in the Buckeye Hall of Fame about a year or so ago when I was uh, up there doing some stuff. So I thought it was pretty cool. So. All right, man. Good luck on everything, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time for it. You got it, bro. Yes, sir. Be easy. Later.